Well, hello, Patriots fans, and welcome to another edition of Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Bobby Kravitsky, at Bobby underscore K91. You can find him there on Twitter. Follow the podcast at Patriots Beat, of course, on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash Patriots Beat. And, of course, this is the CLNS Radio Network. Follow us online and at CLNS Radio on Twitter and www.facebook.com slash CLNSfans. Find us there. Of course, this broadcast tonight is brought to you by our friends and sponsors over at lynda.com. You better get out and challenge yourself today. www.lynda.com slash CLNS for your free 10-day trial. It's a great website. I highly recommend checking it out. And Linda, of course, is spelled L-Y-N-D-A. And that is .com slash C-L-N-S. Get yourself a free 10-day trial. Of course, we're also brought to you tonight by Peak Brewing. Get out and have some beer today. I love some beer. Everyone knows that. How can I not love beer? My name's the Boston Fat Guy. <laughs> love, love the beer. We got, uh, we got a great show for you tonight. We continue our behind enemy lines segment this time with the new york j-e-t-s jets 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 we're bringing in none other than brian costello of the new york post he'll have a great time i'm sure with us we got to thank omar kelly uh from the south florida sun sentinel who joined us last week talked a little bit about the miami dolphins that was a great interview highly recommend that you go out and download that Without further ado, I'll bring in the guy who was just laughing in the background, Bobby Kovitsky. That's me. And Jeff, our Behind the Enemy Line series continues. I cannot wait to get Brian Costello on because, let's be honest, no matter how irrational it is, no team in the NFL makes the hairs on the back of Patriots fans' necks stand up quite like the New York Jets. There's just It shouldn't be a rivalry based on what the two have accomplished on the field. But there's just no team that evokes as much hatred out of Patriots Nation as the New York Jets. You know, it is funny because, Bobby, a lot of people think that this rivalry started, uh, you know, when Bill Parcells pretty much gave up on the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 31 as he was talking to the Jets and went over there. And, of course, we all remember um, him leaving the, the Patriots, going to the Jets, Bob Kraft turning around and getting four uh, four draft picks, four years of draft picks um, for him. And, and then, of course, Bill Belichick uh, resigning as the HC of the NYJ and then signing with the Patriots and then having the Patriots have to giving up a first-round draft pick. But this goes back, you know, to when they were the New York Titans in 1960. It's Boston. It's New York. It's, you know, big brother versus little brother. It's, you know, the – the history starts here. I mean, Boston was the epicenter of uh, America. You know, it's where the Tea Party started. It's where the Revolutionary War started. And then the Erie Canal gets put in, and all of a sudden, New York becomes the shipping capital of the world, and all of a sudden, look, you see what happened to that city. These are two cities that love to hate each other. And I think it's great. You know, I, I absolutely think it's great. You know, we talk football here, but... You, you think of, uh, you know, Patriots-Jets, that's a huge rivalry. Patriots-Giants, I mean, two Super Bowls, two losses, huge, you know, we, we get the skin just crawls when you see New York. 
Uh, Sox-Yankees, I mean, let's talk about the battles there, you know, forever. I mean, Knicks and, and Celtics going your, your, you know, neck of the woods with the NBA, mm-hmm. you know, that was huge, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s. Unfortunately, both teams have not been great over the last, you know, 10, 10 years at the same time. But that was a great rivalry forever. And even the Rangers and Bruins is a phenomenal rivalry. So Boston, New York, you can't you can't beat it. It is, you know, great. I mean, New York Jets versus New England Patriots. I mean, last year it's it's four and twelve and twelve and four, opposite records. And it's still you get up for those games. Uh, and the you don't just get up for them, they're slugfest. Both games came down to the end. You know, the Patriots in route to a Super Bowl. The Jets, in route to a bottom pick in the NFL draft, turned out to be sixth overall. And the games were absolute slobber knockers that came down to the wire, both teams trading punches, and it was like that the year before. It was like that the year before. It's just how it is when these two teams get together. The question will become here, though, Bobby. It Was that Rex Ryan? And his coaching ability that 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 basically made these games slobber knockers, or was it just that rivalry, Jets versus Patriots? I'm gonna lean a little bit right now because I don't know much about the new Jets head coach Todd Bowles. I'm gonna lean a bit to it being Rex Ryan because I think Rex Ryan. And we'll talk Buffalo Bills next week, uh, but I, so I don't want to spend too much time on there. But I think Rex Ryan as head coach of the Jets. You know, he came to New York saying he didn't want to kiss Belichick's rings. Well, Belichick added one more when uh, when he was here. So I think that Rex Ryan got those games up. And while I think this year's Jets defense looks really good, I worry about their – I don't worry about it. I laugh <laughs> at their offense. I don't think Geno Smith is going to be that great that great quarterback. Brandon Marshall, of course, acquired uh, from the Chicago Bears. We know what Brandon Marshall can do, but he's also a bit of a head case. You know, he was nothing in Miami uh, when he was there uh, with no quarterback throwing to him. He's had his best years with Jay Cutler throwing him the ball, and he hates Jay Cutler. Yeah, Brandon Brandon Marshall is not an easy guy to figure out how this Jets team is going to fare with, you know, Geno Smith at the helm. They've got a great defense, but Jeff, I'll point out that they're Big move this offseason was bringing back Darrell Revis, who, of course, you know, was in New England last year, in case you forgot. But when Revis and Cromartie were together the first time, when they were younger and when Cromartie was better, Revis is Revis, but when Cromartie was to get better and they were together the first time, it didn't produce a Super Bowl. So now their big move this offseason was to more or less recreate the formula that didn't produce a Super Bowl. It's just a bit of a head-scratcher. A little bit of a head-scratcher, you know, and we'll talk a little bit with uh, Brian Costello about that. Let's get into a little uh, more Patriots talk here, as, uh, and, and, and it's, we've beaten this thing to death. I talked about it last week with, you know, uh, the horses going to the glue factory, but Roger Goodell comes out and says that he denies the NFLPA's request for him to rescind himself from uh, you know, covering this uh, deflate gate Tom Brady appeal hearing, good, bad, or indifferent, your eyes? I would say that I'm going to go outside the box and say predictable. It was expected. 
very, there, very predictable. There's just too much riding on this for Roger Goodell to let an independent arbitrator just poke holes and rip to shreds his original ruling. It's happened to him before. It even happened to him at the hands of former commissioner Paul Tagalabu, who tried to send him a message. It obviously was not received by Commissioner Goodell. So, you know, in my eyes, he's going into this thing biased as can be, no matter what he says. The outcome might even be predetermined because it just feels to me from the outside, no matter how strong of a case Tom Brady presents, the most he's going to get is two games. Maybe, maybe he gets a third game knocked off and it's dropped down to a one-game suspension. And I'm going to tell you, here's my thought on here. This actually plays right into the hands of Jeffrey Kessler and Tom Brady. It plays right in the hands because, I mean, here's the thing. Roger Goodell, if he, if he rescinds this, if he rescinds the suspension and knocks it down to no games, you know, Brady, you're playing. You know, we find your team enough, uh, the draft picks are enough, you can play. It's a win for Brady. If he cuts it down to two games, I'm pretty damn sure in hiring Jeffrey Kessler and going out and, you know, what they've done here and, and how I, I, I had written an article earlier in the, uh, in the, this whole debate, how uh, the, the Wells report in context was actually a start to defending Tom Brady instead of the team. They go to two, two games. I'm pretty dang sure that Tom Brady is going to fight this in court. And to me, he has a much better chance in a federal court or whatever kind of court that they bring this to. I'm not going to say it won't be a small claims court, but whatever kind of court they bring this to, they're going to look, the judge is going to look there and say, all right, so what you're saying to me is the commissioner of the NFL heard this case. He was the one who, who hired the Wells uh, crew to come out. They've poked holes in the Wells report. And then you're going to turn around and this same guy is going that, you know, authorized Troy Vincent to give the punishment is going to rescind it down to two games. If I'm Roger Goodell, the only play that you have here is to keep it at four, to deny the appeal. Because if you drop it down to two, you're already showing that you are, have some kind of wrongdoing here. You know, and this is a mountain out of a molehill, as I've said before. And the other thing I look at this is the date of the appeal. And this is a power play in my eyes by the NFL because it is set for the end of June, almost one month to the day before the Patriots are going to kick off the uh, training camp if it goes the full three days that it could go. Do they, do they feel that Brady will drop the case because it's so late into June, because by the time they get in front of a, a, a court, it's going to be August. You're one month away from the season. Is Tom Brady going to want to, you know, basically have this hanging over his head heading into the season? I think that's a, the power play there by the NFL and Roger Goodell. But I think Brady's bringing this to the end here. I think he wants to clear his name, um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. And it is what it is, man. Well, it certainly seems like this date was not tr chosen arbitrarily, that there was some strategy involved in picking out June 23rd and 
perhaps that is the reason to turn up the pressure on Brady as we get closer to the regular season. I also think, Jeff, I'm going to go the other way, where if Brady gets this thing reduced, he's not going to appeal it in court because he does have a strong case, no doubt, but there's also the risk that you don't know when a final ruling is going to be made and you can't guarantee you're going to win it. What happens if a two-game suspension holds up and a ruling isn't made until the point where one of those games served would be in the playoffs should the Patriots get in? You're really taking quite a gamble there, and I understand it's Tom Brady and it's the reputation of who the two of us feel has earned the right to be called the greatest quarterback of all time, but I still think he puts the team ahead of himself in this situation and doesn't take that gamble because things could turn out for the worst, not the better, if he takes it to court. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I really think you're saying here he's going to put the team ahead of himself. I think Tom Brady has always put the team ahead of himself. It's what he does. This time I think he's going to put himself in front of the team. And I think he has every right to do it. Every single right to do it. But let's move on uh, from Deflategate. You know, you hear enough about it on, on all the uh, airwaves. Let's get into some nuts and bolts stuff here, because here's the one thing that I want to talk about, Bobby. Last week, you know, we talked about what was going to be a, uh, you know, a bigger issue for the New England Patriots on CLS Radio's Patriots Beat. We talked about the O-line or defensive back, what would be a bigger issue. We both kind of weighed in on, on, on both of those. I'm looking at that running back position. Gone from this team is Steven Ridley. And I know he had a bad rap here a lot of times. This is still a guy who ran for 1,200 yards in 2012 and was having a very good season before he tore his ACL against the Bills in Week 6. You lost Super Bowl hero uh, Shane Vereen, who was... (laughs) just amazing in the Super Bowl and at many times in his career as a very adept pass catcher uh, out of the backfield. LeGarrette Blount is uh, suspended for the first week of the season for smoking a little bit of that cigarette with uh, uh, the running back Bell from Pittsburgh. So going into week one, you have Jonas Gray. We don't know what he is yet. He tore uh, the the, uh, Colts a new butthole. But you know what? The Colts can't stop a cold when it comes to running the ball. You have James White, who I was very high on last year, coming out of um, you know coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, I'm excited to see what he has to bring. You have Tavares Cadet, who is a running back in name only. You have Brandon Bolden, who we all know my feeling on Brandon Bolden. I can't stand the guy. I think he's a great special teams player, but I don't want him being my featured back. And, you know, um, what do we do? I mean, what are they going to do at running back here? Jeff, you nailed it. This is an area with a big old question mark around it. The the one who you know the most is LeGarrette Blount, and I've never been that big a fan of his game either. You know, he's someone else who he tore up the Colts, and he's had a couple home runs but he hasn't been overly impressive, especially against high-quality defenses. We saw what happened two years ago in the AFC Championship against Denver. He did nothing, and from the start of that game, it was clear 
that he wasn't going to do anything. So you look at Jonas Gray, who is a bit of an enigma at this point. James White, can he step into that third down role? How well can he block? How well can he replace Shane Vereen? Because you know there's going to be a drop-off to some degree, and it might even be a severe one. You know, Travaris Cadet, what are the Patriots going to get out of him? He wasn't that well used in New Orleans. So some think that they're getting a guy who's just scratching the surface and about to hit his prime. Others think this is someone who's likely to become an NFL journeyman. You know, they seem pretty high from the outside, it sounds like, on Tyler Gaffney, but he has never played a regular season game in his life in the NFL. So it's just a lot of question marks there, a lot of unknown. You uh, you let you brought him up. I purposely let him out, left him off, um, and because that's the guy I want to talk about. I want to talk about Tyler Gaffney. Yes, he hasn't carried the ball in the NFL yet. However, his final season at Stanford in the Pac-12, 1,700 yards, uh, you know, 12, uh, 12 touchdowns. This is a guy who can run the football. Uh, you know, go to YouTube, check you know, check it out. Um, he can really run. In fact, you want to you want to check it out. You want to look at a, a, a article that I wrote on uh, ProFootballCentral.com. I wrote about the Patriots. Check it out there. I got the uh, highlights up of Tyler Gaffney. Uh, he makes me a little happy. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think Tyler Gaffney could be the type of player that the Patriots can use. He's got some good size, good speed, and they saw enough in him, you know, to to you know, play that little pluck him off the uh, the injury list from the Carolina Panthers and, and bring him in here. So I'm excited to see what they can do. I really believe that he could be a great running back in this league. We'll see what happens as training camp comes up. Because OTAs, let's face it, OTAs, you know, it's a glorified passing camp. You know, there's really no big hitting, and they're, they're installing uh, the offense, the defense, special teams. They're seeing what can happen. I like Tyler Gaffney. I'm expecting a good season from him. He's six feet, 220. You mentioned his size. Mike Reese, among others, reports that he appears close to 100% right now, which was the hope when the Patriots picked him up off waivers last season. So it's going to be very intriguing to see what type of training camp, how he looks in the preseason, because there's more, there's more bodies than there are roster spots at that running back position. So we'll see if he earns a role on this team and just how large of a role he's able to carve out for himself. Yeah, we definitely see that. Now moving on to the wide receiver core, uh, of course you have Julian Edelman, Danny Amendola, who really came on uh, strong the last six games of the season, looked as good as he did game one against the Buffalo Bills in the 2013 season. Listen, we talked about this. They don't win that Super Bowl uh, without Danny Amendola. I'm very happy that he's back. Brandon LaFell doing some good things. Reports that Aaron Dobson looked pretty good at OTAs. Yeah, and I take that with a grain of salt. It's obviously better to hear that than the opposite. But you said not too long ago, it's OTAs. This is more about learning the playbook, gaining some chemistry with your teammates than it is showing what you're going to be able to do when the pads come on. So the way I look at this receiver course, Jeff, is the, the strength of this team is its offense. And we just talked about the running back spot being a question mark. So clearly it's because of 
how effective they are in the passing game. That starts with number 12. But his receivers, which includes tight end Rob Gronkowski, now you pair him with another mammoth who's over 6'6", and Scott Chandler. Those two oh, tight yeah, ends in the red zone, baby, those are going to be fun to watch for Patriot fans and figure to be very effective. You know, you have Julian Edelman in the slot. Brandon LaFell gives this team a dynamic they haven't had in a while on the outside with that size and physicality. You know, he's willing to come across the middle of the field as well. Very effective yards after the catch as well, which is something this team puts a premium on. You have depth at the position with Danny Amendola, who can both back up Edelman and be your number three wide receiver. So the Patriots have quality at the receiver position. They have quantity as well, and it's the strength of this team as a whole. The one thing, I I don't think Brandon LaFell gets enough credit for what he was able to accomplish last year. 70-plus receptions, uh, you know, scored the first touchdown in the Super Bowl for the Patriots. This was a guy, and we've all talked about it, you know, uh, a wide receiver coming in here as a free agent for the Patriots. They don't gel. They don't mix. And he came in, and from that Chicago game on, he made a huge difference for this team. He really did. And he played almost the entire second half of the season with a serious shoulder injury, which he had surgery on, and he's missed a little bit of OTAs, and that's why a guy like Aaron Dobson uh, was able to get out there. I'm excited about what happens uh, moving forward because LaFell played really well. And let's, you know what, Dobson, for some reason, you know, uh, Patriots fans have kind of, you yourself, Bobby, you know, and and I've done it myself, have kind of, Oh, yeah, bust, whatever. This is still a guy who caught 37 balls for the Patriots for over almost 500 yards as a rookie. That doesn't happen in New England. He had the stress fracture in his foot. I've been on record as saying I don't think they should have taken him off the pop list last year. I thought they took him off the pop list way too early. Um, you know, training camp was almost all the way over. Uh, LaFell was already starting to get the reps that he needed to get. I thought that they should have kept him. On the pop list, he ends up on the uh, IR. He's fully healthy now, back. I'm expecting a good season from Aaron Dobson. I've said that for a couple of years, but we'll see what happens moving forward on uh, on uh, Aaron Dobson. I'm going to bring up a name here because it almost makes me choke and laugh, but Wes Welker um, was on WEEI in Boston this week. Uh, of course, had a great career here. Um, for the New England Patriots, uh, was as tough as nails, as tough as they come. But I look at it, and I and he said that he would be open to a return to the Patriots. I want to know, why do you need him? You don't. I'm sure that he would love to come back here and play with Tom Brady again. But that doesn't mean the Patriots are interested. That just means that, you know, he would welcome a return. I don't see it happening. I'd be shocked. I think it would be a waste of cap space, which we know how much Bill Belichick values. I think that, you know, it's a waste of a roster spot. They have depth at slot receiver. We just talked about Edelman and Amendola. So I'd be shocked if that happens. And regarding Aaron Dobson, Jeff, I think you have to define what those expectations are, you know, what constitutes a good season for him, because my feelings towards him have not changed one iota since 
his rookie season came to an abrupt end. You know, this is a guy who, like you said, really had some impressive moments, some impressive games as a rookie, most notably that Pittsburgh game where he showed that he was able to get the hang of that back shoulder catch that the Patriots love to utilize. You know, he just And Brandon LaFell did a great job with last year. Exactly. And so Dobson showed his ability to pick up the system and to, you know, hone himself and his ability to run some of the routes that the Patriots heavily utilize. That's very impressive to do as a rookie, especially with the track record for new receivers here, rookies and veterans. And then last year, it was just a wasted year from the start. I went on record saying that after the Packers game, when his season officially came to an end, but he had no offseason. It just, it was obvious that he wasn't going to get much out of his second year, which is unfortunate because we know how much that means to players. And even worse for him is Brandon LaFell steps up and has this great year and develops this synergy with Tom Brady. And so now he's lost his starting spot, which he had as a rookie. And it's going to be even harder for him to carve out a role. Now he's more of a depth piece than anything else. So, you know, it's good to hear that he's having a productive start to OTAs, but he's really going to have to prove himself. And the question is, Jeff, how much is even that going to earn him this season? It'll be interesting to see. I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to say success for him, um, 30 to 40 catches. You know, being a contributing member of this team moving forward. 30 to 40 catches to me uh, would be a great thing. Now, it's going to be hard to get 30 to 40 catches uh, for anyone not named Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. Um, You know, Edelman, he has come in full circle. I mean, in 2009, uh, Bill Belichick, you know, of of course, talked about Wally Pipp. And for those of you who don't know, Wally Pipp was the guy who came in and uh, played for Lou Gehrig, who when he when he ended his streak of games with Wally Pip, and uh, Belichick called him Wally Pip when he was returning punts for for um, Wes Welker, and in that season there were many times where he was a young Wes Welker. We all thought he looked like Wes Welker, played like Wes Welker, and now the last two seasons, Julian Edelman, the last two seasons, to me has been everything that Wes Welker was to this offense, and maybe a little more. Yeah, I think he's more athletic than Welker. I think he is better after the catch. And most importantly is his ability to avoid concussions. You know, Julian Edelman, he's had some injuries, but... (laughs) He had a concussion in the Super Bowl. No one's going to yeah, tell he me didn't avoid, He didn't avoid Cam Chancellor. But, <laughs> you know, with- and I'm not diminishing uh, what Wes Welker did of here. Course. I'm not going to, you know, Wes Welker was a great player. I just, I think that Julian Edelman, while it has, it's only, listen, it's only been two seasons that he's put up, you know, great numbers, but it might not last as long, but he's just as good, if not a little better. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think a little bit better. I think that's largely derived from his athleticism. He's obviously a more effective punt returner. He's one of the best in the game in that area. So I think he just gives this team a little bit more than Wes Welker did. And Wes Welker, of course, gave this team a lot. 
Sure did. He sure did. But you know what? That ship has sailed. Sorry, Wes, don't want you back. Even though, uh, you know, Bill Belichick kissed and made up with Brandon Spikes, uh, I don't think he needs to kiss and make up with you and bring you back. Thank you very much, Wes. Uh, you know, you set a bunch of records. Um, but in the end, we don't need you. Not but what we, have we, you done. It's what can you do. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of people went out and were all pissy when, when he left and went to the um, Denver Broncos because what will you get? You know, what have you done? And the Patriots pay on what you're going to do moving forward, not what you did moving backwards. You know, and I thought one of the things that came out uh, in all of this stuff with Tom Tom Brady is is Bob Kraft saying to Tom Brady that you're pretty much going to have to pay play for this salary. And Tom Brady staying there. I mean, people sit and they say, you know, Tom Brady's going to be here forever. There's going to become a time when they're going to move on from number 12. It'll be a sad day, but when they believe that Tom Brady can't play up to his you know, standards anymore, they're going to move on from him like they do with everybody else. You know, I know he is the greatest quarterback of all time, but Bob Kraft telling him he's got to play for a certain amount of money, I, I don't know how you can look and say that they wouldn't move on from him. And what's going to make things really difficult is that it might be a situation where Tom Brady, you know, drop off or not, is still playing at a high level, and they just feel like it's at a point where it's time to, you know, to hand the keys over to Garoppolo. And that's really not going to sit well with a lot of fans, even if they understand it, because I have a hard time believing, Jeff, that we're going to see a situation where it's obvious to everyone that the majority sees that it's time to make a move. I think Tom Brady, unless he retires maybe even earlier than he wants to, and I won't say how many years that'll be from now, that he's still going to be playing exceptionally well, and they're going to be looking to make the switch to Garoppolo. I can agree with you. Whether it's Garoppolo or, or someone else, they're very high on Garoppolo. You know, and I think that could be one of the reasons that Tom Brady's going to fight this suspension so hard. He lost, you know, he got his job because he outplayed Drew Bledsoe. And he got, well, he didn't really outplay, but he got his job because he played his ace off and got better from year one to year two. And then, you know, in 2001, in the in the preseason, he outplayed Drew Bledsoe. And then Bledsoe, of course, sheared a blood vessel in his chest. Next thing you know, Tom Brady's leading this team. And if Brady's suspension, and I know this is going to sound ludicrous and, and, you know, people on social media are going to call from my head, what happens if Brady has to suspend, be suspended for these four games? Jimmy Garoppolo comes out, and they're scoring 41 points a game, and he's lighting the world on fire. What happens? Yeah, then you have an interesting decision but I still think that it's different than the Bledsoe-Brady decision in that contemplation because Brady is playing at a much higher level than Bledsoe did. He also just won the Super Bowl. 
So if that doesn't give you any leeway, <laughs> then nothing does. So yeah. I fully expect, you know, for all I know, they open up the playbook the first month of the season, you know, because of that scenario where it's Garoppolo for four games. And rather than be as conservative as they typically are to open the season, you know, they open things up to help Garoppolo out and he thrives with it. But I still think even under that scenario, even if they go three and one or whatever, I still think that the the starting job goes back to Tom Brady. Yep. And and we'll see. And I and I agree with you. I do think the starting job goes back to Brady. I'm just playing devil's advocate. What well, happens? We're keeping if, it interesting if, here. If Jimmy G comes out and plays phenomenal, that's the best of both worlds for this team. I mean, because going into the 2016 season, if Jimmy G plays great in these four games or two games or one game, whatever it is, and really plays well, you have a situation where you you know, have firsthand knowledge of what Jimmy G can do in your offense. You have Tom Brady, who is going to be going in to be 39. Where do you go with it? Where do you go with it? So this team has always been about what's in the best interest of the football team. You know, it'll, it's it's going to be a very exciting time being a Patriots fan. And I always like to say this is the pre-Brady Patriots fans and the post-Brady Patriots fans. And I believe the pre-Brady Patriots fans think that anything's possible. And the post-Brady Patriots fans, meaning anyone who started following this team from 2001 on, whether it's because of your age or because you just like the winner, you can't ever see Tom Brady not being your quarterback. You know, Tom Brady isn't going to find the fountain of youth somewhere. At some point, age is going to catch up to him, and he's either going to have to retire or move on. Now, our colleague uh, Billy Wyatt wrote a, wrote a nice article uh, about, you know, this very situation. and But he came out saying that the Patriots could release Tom Brady. That's never going to happen. The Patriots are not going to release Tom Brady they might trade him, but Bill Belichick is going to want to control where he sends Tom Brady if he were to trade him. And I'm not saying that's happening. Well, I actually wouldn't rule out the Patriots releasing Tom Brady. And here's why, Jeff. You know, if that's, of course, if this partnership comes to an end in the near future. And I think you look at two things. One is the restructuring of his deal, the removal of the guaranteed money and how that all works out, not covered the same way it was previously. I think Brady did that because he wants to be able to control his own destiny should things, in fact, play out that way. He doesn't want to end up on a losing franchise where he doesn't even have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. That's worst-case scenario for him, something he would never accept. And I also think he feels like, okay, if the Patriots decide it's time to give Jimmy Garoppolo the starting job, pay me my debt of debt gratitude. If you're going to part ways with me, then release me. I don't want to be traded, like I just said, to some no-name franchise. I don't want to go to someone who's where I'm going to be spending my last one or two years in irrelevancy. I want to go to a team that can compete. I want to go to a team that suits me best, that I can choose, and should it play out that Tom Brady does not play his whole career as a New England Patriot, I think it actually probably is 
because he's released, not traded, looking at the structure of his new contract. Interesting things we'll be talking about for years to come. And it comes down to this, Patriots fans. Do you want to be the San Francisco 49ers where you go from a four-time Super Bowl, three-time Super Bowl MVP Joe Montana to a Steve Young and win another Super Bowl? Or do you want to be like the next uh, team we're going to talk about, the New York Jets, who really haven't had a quarterback since Joe Namath? Well, joining me on the line right now is Brian Costello. He is the New York Jets beat reporter for the New York Post. Brian, how you doing tonight? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for joining us. You are our second in a series called Behind Enemy Lines here on the Patriots Beat podcast. Last week we had Omar Kelly of the Sun Sentinel. Uh, we're going to talk to you a little bit today about the New York Jets and what they've done this off season to improve themselves. First things first, they got a brand new head coach in Todd Broles. What are your thoughts on the former uh, defensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals? Well, I mean, it's very highly thought of the Cardinals. He won uh, assistant coach of the year last year from the pro football writers. And, you know, he's got a great reputation uh, from his years in Dallas and Miami. And then he spent the year in Philly before going to Arizona. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a surprise at the time because uh, I think the thought was when they went away from Rex Ryan, and then maybe they'd go with an offensive-minded head coach. But they were really impressed with Todd Bowles in the interview process and then decided to go that way. And, you know, we'll see in a few years if it was the right decision. It's hard, hard to tell <laughs> right now in June. But, um, you know, we'll see. It made sense on paper, their reasoning. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I was a bit much surprised myself. Uh, after the years with Rex Ryan, who did a fine job in my eyes in uh, New York and definitely had a great defense, but always wondered about that offense. Um, and, and the offense is still a question mark at the quarterback position with Geno Smith. And, of course, they brought in uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick on a trade. Um, Geno Smith was pretty much named the uh, starting quarterback. I thought for sure that they would have a, uh, a training camp battle. What can we look into that? Yeah, I was stunned uh, a few weeks ago when Shannon Gailey, the new offensive coordinator, said there'd be no competition in, in training camp. Um, you know, I, what I read into it is I don't think they think very highly of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I'm not really sure <laughs> how, you, you know, how you don't read into that because while Geno Smith probably doesn't deserve to be out of the NFL, he doesn't deserve to be the starting quarterback. He just handed to him. Um, you know, and they would argue that they're not just handing him the job. But what they've said is he's going to get the first team reps in training camp. And, you know, Fitzpatrick is going to have to beat him out. But uh, to me, it's almost impossible to beat out a starting quarterback in training camp unless you're getting reps with the first team as well. Um, because, you know, the second team offensive line, second team wide receivers that you're playing with, it's hard to look good with that group. And uh, I, I just don't see how Fitzpatrick is going to be able to surpass Geno uh, in training camp with with what's around him. Um, they must have liked what they saw when they watched the table of Geno. I thought they had some promise there. The other thing I read into it is they don't think much of the former coaching staff. You know, they, these guys come in and think, well, he didn't play well because they weren't calling the right plays for him. We'll fix that. Our system will fix him. 
And I think Chan Gailey believes that his system, you know, will fit Geno better, which it probably will. It's more similar to what he did at West Virginia than than Morningwood's West Coast system. But, uh, you know, from what we've seen the last two years out of Geno Smith, wild inconsistency. It's hard to imagine that suddenly he's going to just stop turning the ball over this year. Um, so it was pretty surprising when they, they came out and said that a few weeks ago. Yeah. Now, the Jets last year ranked 30th in passing. Um, now they bring in Brandon Marshall. We know what kind of player that Brandon Marshall can be. Um, he's very effective going downfield and using his body. Uh, and, of course, then they ended up drafting Devin Smith, uh, the deep threat out of Ohio State. Do you feel that this, along with Eric Decker, will give the uh, the Jets the ability to push the f- ball down the field more? No, <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't <laughs> think. Again, because I think it's the quarterback. I mean, maybe Fitzpatrick's the quarterback. Maybe he could throw it deep sometimes. I just don't think with Gino that's going to work. Um, what I do think Brandon Marshall does for this team is give Gino a red zone target and give him, you know, third and five, give him a better target. You know, Decker is a good possession receiver. Had a really good season last year for the Jets. He had injuries in the beginning of the year, but he ended up having a pretty good year um, for them. But he's not a guy that you can just throw it up in the end zone and he'll go get it, and they needed one of those. And Marshall is that guy. Marshall will be a really great red zone threat for them, something they haven't had in a long time. You know, we've seen it even in these OTAs. He can just go up and get the ball. He's just a very, you know, the size and strength that he has um, is so impressive. So I think that's where it helps. Devin Smith, I don't know what he's going to be in his first year. I don't know how much he'll he'll help them. Um, You know, if he can develop, he could be a deep threat. But right now, we're really not seeing that from him. I think he's he's had his spin a little bit as a rookie. I see. I look at the uh, Jets uh, roster, and I look at the running back position, and I'm a huge fan of running the football. And I look at guys like Chris Ivory, Zach Stacy, former New England Patriot, Stephen Ridley, uh, of course, Daryl Richardson, and Bilo Powell. I love this depth chart at running back. Do you see a ground-and-pound approach with these guys? I think that's what Bowles would like to do. Um, you know, I think he knows he doesn't have Tom Brady or Peyton Manning at quarterback, and the way to win games when you don't have that is to play great defense and to run the ball. Um, I think they have a really nice, stable running backs, the guys you just named. It's really, I think, better than what they had last year, and they were pretty good at running the ball last year. I think they might have been third in the league at the end of the year. Um, my question mark is the offensive line. Um, you know, the Brickershaw Ferguson is getting older at left tackle. They brought in James Carpenter from the Seahawks at left guard. I'm not really sure how good he is. Um, they had Brandon Giacomini at right tackle that they brought in last year, and he kind of had an up-and-down year. And at right guard, it's a question mark right now. They have a few guys fighting for that spot. And the only real you know, guy that's just reliable plug-and-play, Nick Mangold at center. So, you know, I'm interested to see how the offensive line gels and, and how they play. I think that's going to dictate what that uh, running back group can do, really. Switching uh, sides of the balls, uh, we look at the Jets and their defense has been the hallmark of their team for, oh, at least the last six or seven years. Um, they got l- extremely lucky in the draft, as far as I'm concerned, uh, with um, Lennon Williams falling to them in the draft. Muhammad Wilkinson, who is an all-world defensive tackle, he's been holding out, hasn't been at the OTAs, uh, with Wilkins, Williams being drafted, do you feel that this could be the last season 
uh, for Wilkinson, or could he actually play here and get paid? I think he, 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 he I still think he's going to get a contract. I've thought that all along. Um, you know, as time goes by, it looks a little more questionable. But I think you know you can you can sign Wilkerson to a deal that's you know going to pay in the next few years um, and still have the cap situation where you can keep Sheldon Richardson, um, another defensive lineman that they're going to have to pay, and then you know Leonard Williams is four or five years away from from a payday. So you know I, I think um, the Wilkerson deal I kind of felt all along was going to get done by training camp. I still think that. I just think it makes too much sense. He can't let a player of his caliber walk away. You know, they have him under contract for this year. Theoretically, they could franchise tag him next year, but that's a pretty big number. Um, but he's just too good a player to, to let leave uh, as a free agent, or even I, I don't see them trading him. Um, you know, so I guess things could happen. It could get contentious, but I, I still think it's going to get done despite them drafting Leonard Williams. I think, you know, Teams love to have a lot of defensive linemen. Defensive, co- defensive coaches love that. Gives them some flexibility. You can rotate guys in and out. That's one position group where you see tons of turnover during a game. You know, guys are in and out in different packages. So I, I think they'll be able to, you know, give Todd Bowles some flexibility. And, you know, Leonard Williams is a highly thought of prospect. But right now that's what he is, a prospect. So we got to see what he can actually do when he gets on the field. You know what you have in Muhammad Wilkerson. The Jets, they got the band back together. They got Darrell Revis. They got Antonio Camardi back together. They certainly were great together in their first turnaround. And then they bring in a guy like Buster Screen, the former uh, Cleveland Brown. This defensive backfield looks excellent. Uh, Do you think that they will be able to play shut down man-to-man across the board and really be able to shut down opposing offenses and get, get those... 13 to 10 wins and, you know, 17 to 14 victories. Yeah, I don't know about the victories as much. I think, you know, I think they definitely improved so much. It's amazing. You know, a year ago, that was the biggest weakness on the team, and now it's the strength of the deal. Well, well, defensive line is probably still the strength, but it's it's up there, probably number two. Um, Revis is Revis, you know, as you guys all know. I only watched the Patriots nose. We saw what he can do. And he's going to be able to take away the number one wide receiver most weeks from the opposing team. Now, Cromartie, two years ago with the Jets, he had a terrible year. Um, He was battling a hip issue, and just he had an awful, awful year. He goes to Arizona, had a pretty good year with Bowles, and comes back. So we'll see what he is. I don't know, really, Buster Screams. Uh, had a lot of penalties in Cleveland, kind of moved around in different positions. It's going to be a much, much better group than it was. Can they win games for them? I don't know. I mean, I think the biggest thing that the secondary is going to do is make the quarterback hold the ball for a couple extra seconds, and his defensive line should be able to get a lot more sacks than they got last year. Now, on Revis, I've never gone from hating a guy to loving a guy (laughs) to – I, I'm not going to say I hate Darrell Revis anymore. I loved what he brought to the New England Patriots last year, and it was a business decision for him to go back to the Jets. How much do you think it was money, and how much do you think it was he just wanted to go back to where it all began? Mm, I think it was 100% money <laughs> and uh, <laughs> for him to, to, to leave. Um, 
that being said, I think if the money was even between the Jets and somewhere else, most other places, he picked the Jets. He truly loves New York City. He loves living here. Uh, he's from, I mean, there's not that many people left, believe it or not, from 2012 when he was last year. I mean, they, they cleaned out the staff and the front office pretty much last year. So it's not like he was coming back to be reunited with people. Um, you know, but he, he, he's familiarity with some of the people in the building, some of the different operations people. And, um, you know, he knew he'd get a big welcome from Jets fans. But I, I think at the end of the day, it was $39 million guaranteed was <laughs> what, what he wanted the more than anything else. Um, it's nice for him to say he wanted to come home and all that stuff. But uh, I, I think it was more about the money than anything else. Now, this is probably my least favorite topic of this uh, off season, but I got to talk about it. Uh, Deflategate, former offici- head of officiating uh, Jim Diopolos, said on a scale of one to ten, Deflategate is about a two. It appears to be a case of jaywalking that got severely penalized. But as someone who covers a rival of an of an offender, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on Deflategate. Uh, I thought it was silly. You know, I mean, look, I, I cover the Jets. I don't root for the Jets. I'm not part of the team or anything. So. You know, my view of it um, was I, I thought it was silly. Uh, it's a rule. I think it's a dumb rule. It is a rule, though, so it was violated. Um, you know, I think the Patriots' history with Spygate played a role in the punishment, and they went, they went a little bit over, you know, they, they made it a little more severe because of that. I think the atmosphere around the NFL and Roger Goodell over the past year where he was lenient on Ray Rice and people criticized him there and Adrian Peterson and Greg Hardy, all that kind of caught up to, you know, Roger Goodell said, all right, I'm going to drop the hammer here just to to prove how tough I am. I think those things kind of affected the the punishment with the Patriots. Something had to be done. Uh, It was too public a thing and we got too big of a deal. But at the end of the day, I mean, do I think Tom Brady – is needs footballs that are underinflated to play well? No, I mean I I was at the game where they played the Jets last year, where in the um, Wells report it said he complained that the balls were 16 pounds and felt like rocks, and <laughs> wasn't like I watched that game and said, "Man, Brady looks terrible tonight." Like <laughs> I didn't I I couldn't tell you. I don't remember Brady looking bad that night. And the other thing was uh, people say, oh, well, it helped them in the rain and stuff like that. I can remember a game, I guess it was 2013, two years ago. You might remember that the Jets and Patriots played on Thursday night, the second week of the mm-hmm. season, and it was pouring rain. Oh, and both yeah. offenses were terrible. And the Patriots scored a touchdown on a bad coverage. D-Mill had a bad coverage. And uh, I think it was an Edelman, I think. He hit down the right sideline. It was actually Aaron Dobson. It was Dobson, on, on, right. On the right Dobson, side broke. Yeah. yeah, Dobson. And so, you know, and that was, I think, like the only touchdown for a while in that game. So it wasn't like the Patriots were lighting it up because they had 10 pound footballs or something that night. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's just gotten way overblown. Well, Brian, final question here from me. Uh, with all this going on this offseason in New England, of course, they're entire secondary has been uh, revamped, uh, the deflate gate allegations, and now with uh, everything that's gone on in, with the Jets, their defense getting better, new uh, head coach, uh, wide receivers, plenty of running backs as we talked about. Do you believe that uh, the Jets are closing the gap on the New England Patriots? 
Uh, in the sense that the Jets were four and twelve last year, and well, what were the, what the Patriots finish? What was their record? Twelve and four. Twelve and four. Twelve and four, and won the Super Bowl. In that sense, yes, they're closing the gap. I think the Jets will be, you know, I think they're going to be in the eight, in the eight, eight, nine, seven range this year, somewhere around there. I expect the Patriots to be twelve and four again in that area. So, on paper, they're closing the gap. But are they closer to winning the division? No. I don't think so. I think this is still the Patriots division. No matter what the Jets have done, no matter what the Bills have done, no matter what the Dolphins have done, the Patriots are so far superior at the quarterback position that until one of these teams finds a guy that that can compete on that level or until Tom Brady retires, I I don't see this division changing uh, for any of the teams. Well, Brian Costello of the New York Post, I really appreciate your time tonight here on Patriots Beat. We'd love to have you back when the Patriots and Jets square off in the season. Sure, I'd love to do it. Thanks for having me. Yep, you have a wonderful day. All right, thank you. Bye. Well, that, of course, was Brian Costello, New York Jets Beat writer for the New York Post. You can find him, of course, on NewYorkPost.com. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it is at Brian Cause. And that is causes with a Z. Definitely a great follow uh, if you're a Jets fan. And hey, if you're a Patriots fan, what better than sleeping with the enemy, finding out a little bit, keep your your friends close and your enemies even closer. Thank you very much to Brian Costello. Uh, a great interview with him. Uh, it's always nice to look into uh, another team. And again, the Behind Enemy Lines series will continue next week as we bring on a Buffalo Bills writer. And you'll get this all season long from the Patriots Beat podcast. Not only will we have, uh, as the season progresses, uh, as we look at uh, the Patriots and their upcoming uh, teams that they'll be playing, we'll be bringing on the best uh, writers in Boston to talk with us. We'll also be bringing on each week a different beat writer from the opposing team as we get you ready for NFL coverage here on CLNS Radio I am Jeff Kane at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Of course, my co-host Bobby Kurvitsky at Bobby underscore K91. This has been Patriots Beat on CLNS Radio, and you can always catch us on the flip side. We'll see you guys next week. Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.